Hello, this is Jordan Young, and you're listening to This Is Ibrox, the Rangers podcast. Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to This Is Ibrooks Interviews. I'm Martin Douglas and joining me today is the star of Scott Squad, The Panto and River City, Jordan Young. Jordan, how are you doing? I'm very well, mate. How's yourself? Ah, a wee bit tired and fed up with the wains, but apart from that, I'm, I'm dealing. But that's actually uh, what I was going to jump in and ask you first. Uh, the big question with this coronavirus is, how's you and the family and everybody dealing with it? <sighs> All right, I think um, much the same as everybody else. It's such a mental, mental time. It's just psychologically quite strange, isn't it? For for everybody, I think uh, everybody, every walk of life, it doesn't matter what you do or who you are. It's uh, it's affecting everybody. Um, oh, we're doing all right. Um, got a, a, a six-year-old who's going on seven, and I've got a two-year-old going on three uh, in the next month. And ugh, it's just trying to keep active, isn't it? It's trying to keep them. Them, them gone. My, my, my oldest. She's getting a wee bit emotional yesterday about the, the fact that she can't see her family. But it's, it's that they're not knowing how long it's going to go on. I think it's the real struggle for everybody. Aye, that's a, that's the thing. It's the grandparents is the is the biggest thing I've seen as well because my ma watches my my youngest quite a lot and she's always asking where's my granny, where's my granny. So it must be really difficult on on the grandparents as well. That is, aye. I mean, we we see her. Um, me and my wife's mum's fairly regular. They're both East Coast, um, Edinburgh and Fife. So we see them as often as possible, but um, it's, it's it's a nightmare. It really is a nightmare. And you're, you're kind of FaceTiming as much. And my wee one, she's, uh, as I say, she's two, and she's getting confused. And she's like, I want to go to Granny's house and stuff. But uh, you've got to keep everybody safe, haven't you? That's, that's the main thing. I keep trying to explain that to them, particularly the older one. That it's, well, I've just got to self-isolate and hope it. Hope it passes. Uh, unfortunately, and it's the fact doesn't need football on the TV and all. That's the biggest thing for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I keep playing FIFA with, uh, with Stephen Purden, but he hammers me ninety-eight percent of the time. So I kind of try and live for the two percent of the time when I sometimes beat him, but it's it's very very few and far between. But um, I well, you can't even get your fix. You know, you're in pre-season or whatnot. You'd put on Sky Sports, and at least there's there's chat and stuff going on, but there's only so much you can watch a, a footballer in their house recording something saying pretty much the same as what I've said about, I will just try to keep busy in that. <laughs> there's no transfer chat on my hand. Yeah? No, and there's only so many times you can watch all games on YouTube. Aye, I know. As well. Know, tell me about it. Um, aye, uh, mind you, it came at a no bad time for us there, our league form. <laughs> so. uh, we'll, we'll get on to that in a wee bit, we'll get on to that. But uh, I, so early life in that for you, um, I never realised, and I probably should have, by your accent, that you grew up in Fife. Exact, whereabouts in Fife? Uh, a wee village called Kettlebridge. Um, it's kind of, geographically, it's sort of bang centre of Fife. It's in between Cooper and Glenothis. Uh, I grew up there. I've got one of these, I think I've got a bit of hybrid accent, Um like broad, broad Pfeiffer, and then I, I went to Drama College in Edinburgh and I stayed there for nine years and, and just got loads of Edinburgh folks slagging my accent all the time. So I you, I think I unintentionally adapt it. And I've lived through in Glasgow and Lindsay for about 12, 12, 13 years. So everybody back home in Fife thinks I've got a bit of a West Coast twang, but everybody through here can sense the, the East Coast immediately. So I think uh, nobody wants to claim ownership of me, I'm afraid. <laughs> it's, it's, it's what I would probably call a TV accent. Do you think just a generic kind of <laughs> <Just laughs> flattened out generic? Don't know where it's <laughs> But so, when, uh, when the phone to my mum, I'm, I'm broad five, broad five. I'll bet, I'll bet, I'll bet. Um, so I, so so talking about your, your parents and that. So who was your kind of biggest influence on you growing up? My mum and my dad. I'd say my brother as well. Um, we we lost my dad uh, when I was I was fourteen. Um, my brother was uh, 17 and up until then uh, my family were a really really close family and I'd say my dad had a huge influence on me personally growing up I think I've got a lot of his personality traits obviously when we lost him 
you know, we became, we were already very close, but uh, my mum and my brother, just, it was just the three of us, and they were, they were my rocks. Uh, so I kind of always looked up to my older brother, so he's became a kind of father figure, and um took over, you know, the things, just the things that you did, your dad would teach you or, you know, drive and all that kind of thing. My brother sort of took that mantle and my mum kind of brought up two teenage sons, which was absolutely hellish for her. You know, it was, she'd lost the love of her life, her, her husband, and she had to bring up two teenage boys who were going through all that grief. So, um, aye, my mum and my brother and my dad, they were my, my main influences and my, my idols, as it were. Did that have sort of... Um... I don't want this to sound like a psychiatrist podcast, uh, but uh, no. did that have like, any effect on your, your your school and stuff like that? Then obviously losing your dad so young. Oh, massively, massively. Um, it's something you you know I'm sure everybody can imagine. If you've never had a loss that big, you can imagine what it's like. But it, without without sounding dramatic and and over egging it, it affected every single part of my life and probably still does. It affects the way I deal with my family, the the stress and anxiety I have about loss, about if it happened to me and my kids were left without a dad and planning for the future and stuff like that, which is not something I'm, I particularly want to be like that, but it's just through circumstance. Um, but being at, at school at that age, you know, you've, you've no sight your standard grades yet. I didn't care about anything at school after that. There wasn't a single thing apart from drama, and that was really because... My drama teacher saw this wee lost boy who was just floating about aimlessly and she uh, she kind of guided me and helped me and I'd really enjoyed drama and looking back now, you didn't realise at the time, but probably it was quite cathartic being in plays and stuff and giving me a way to express myself because I, I, was, I was a bit of a mess for quite a while, as you can imagine. Ah, well, I can imagine because uh, my granda passed away when I was 14 as well, and he was pretty much like my dad, you know, so right. I know, I know exactly, I know exactly what you mean then. So you're saying your, your kind of drama teacher had a kind of big influence on you, so when you left school, did you get like a sort of, what's the best way to say it, a normal job, or was it just kind of straight into college, uni, well, and then acting? It was straight into college, I mean, I, I, I came from a family that nobody in uh, my family had went to uni, nobody had went, was from the arts or anything, everybody just had normal proper jobs um my dad was a financial advisor um my mum was a, a housewife for, for a, a long period um with the odd job here and there so me going to drama college was a really weird thing in fact i was going to essentially university and and doing a, a career you know nobody understood and still a lot of my pals were like how how are you going to make money out of acting and they still ask me that question, and I'm still not sure. <laughs> Particularly at the moment, I'm not making any. No. Um, uh, but then that's, that's society across the board, isn't it? Um, but my, you know, my mum, I was so I was about sort of six, 17, 16, 17, and my drama teacher one day, I was, they were talking about what everybody was away to do, and she was like, "I want you to go to drama college." I mind uh, thinking, I don't know what that entails, and I, I don't know how you make money out and all that. And uh, she. She had a meeting with my mum, and my mum was like, basically, if you think he can do it, if you think he's got the ability, then I'll back, I'll back him 100%. And my mum always has been my, my biggest support in that. She she was just like, whatever happens, you've got to follow your dream and that. And as soon as I thought it was possible to get a career, as soon as I thought, you know, actually, this this could work, I, I went for it. And um, it's been it's the best job in the world when you're working. When you're not working, it can be riddled around securities and uncertainty and all that, but um, I, I, I kinda, I'm kind of prattling on, I'm kind of going off the tangent a wee bit, but you know. <laughs> no, it's all right, that's all right. Uh, that makes I, my no. job easier. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can talk like. Um, I, so I went to a drama college, I did a year in Dundee, and then I did a, a degree at Queen Margaret in Edinburgh. Uh, so I was sort of four years training um, before I became a fully fledged actor, as it were. So, so how kind of difficult is it then? You've you, you you pass all your exams and stuff, and you come out into the world of acting. Just how difficult is it to kind of sort of get like get a gig? It's it can be really really difficult, really difficult. Um, you know, you're saying like in passing your exams there, but there's because it's acting, it's there's a, it's just opinion. You know, if somebody says you're a good actor or a bad actor. 
that's it, an opinion. There's no way to mark that. You know, if you're a, a doctor or you're, you know, a computer programmer or a mechanic, you, you, you would describe your work. You're going, well, you fixed that car or you fixed that patient, whereas acting's about opinion. You know, some folk could say you're the best actor, some folk could say you're the worst actor. So there's not really any exams to pass as such. Um, going out there... It's been it's been really hard, you know. I've been an actor since two thousand and one, and I've had some really, really, really good times where I've, I've worked a lot, and I've had some great jobs, and I've had some really dark times where I've had eight quid in the bank and no no additions, and it's been bleak. I've done loads of bar jobs, I've been a bin man, and I've worked in a call centre. Uh, I've done hundreds of jobs, stuff. That I've had great fun then, but also I've hated it and. I think that for me, being an actor, um, and this is where I really sound like a wanker. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a it's a kind of it's it's a lifestyle. It's your it's your life. It's not really, you know, if if you get into acting to become rich and famous, then don't become an actor. You know, like it's it's for the the craft. I love what I do. I love. The different roles I've played, the people I've worked with, the things I've created, all that. Um, you know, some folk if you, you want to just get an acting to get on the telly, it, mm. it's it's really it's really hard. And um, just because you're on the telly for a bit doesn't mean you're going to be on the telly forever. And you fall out of favour, and you could be you know the flavour of the month, and then suddenly the phone just stops ringing, and they go, "No, nah, we've seen enough of you." You know, because a lot of folk you get saturation with, with any level of actor, be it you. You could be a, a local theatre actor or you could be a Hollywood movie star. When you're flavour of the month, they use you a lot. But then there's only so much folk can they be seeing your face, you know? Um, so you kind of ride that wave and make hay for the sunshines, as it were. Uh, I, I don't know if I've answered your question, but I've passed on for a bit. <laughs> I can't remember what the question was. <laughs> I think that, no, it was a bit was, was that, it's, it's been, it's been an actor. Is it hard getting a break? It's... You know, I think a lot of it's today with luck. A lot of it's today with has been in the right place at the right time. A lot of it's to be a be a decent person. I think that's a life advice in any job. It doesn't matter what you are. Like, get on well with folk because if you've got a choice, of, uh, a brilliant actor who's an absolute arsehole or a really really good actor who's a, a, a lovely person, you'd probably go with the, the lesser ability actor to work with somebody because if you're working intensely with somebody, you're going on tour or you're on set with them. And I know it doesn't always work that way, but um, and it, going back to the luck thing, I know, I know mates who are phenomenally talented actors, like brilliant actors who don't work much or have given the, the career up because it wasn't happening for them. And that's just down to luck because I've worked with them in the past or went to college with them and they were brilliant, absolutely brilliant actors. Well, moving on then, uh, kind of, I suppose, uh, well, I don't know if it's fair to say, was Scott Squad your kind of first big break? Was that fair? No. Um, as, a, as a kind of TV show, kind of series, I mean, I don't... I did, well, I did a, a, t, a TV series um, in 2006 called Legit. It was a, it was a comedy, a sitcom that... Um, me and uh, a fellow Steve McNichol were the two leads in, and it, it got one series, uh, which at the time, for me, I was I was 26 year old and I was on a, a BBC One sitcom as the lead, and I, I I was so I thought we've got to change my life honestly, you know, yeah I was I thought this was me set for life I was going to get 10 series out of it and it was going to lead to this it was going to lead to that it was going to lead to that and. It got cancelled after one series and it was back down there for a bump and then I was back working in a bar. and. Um, so I, I want to ask you a wee bit about Scott Squad because I'm not just saying this because you're on the pod, Addy. I, I love it, right? But no, see, when, see, see when you're doing a comedy series like that, mm-hmm. how difficult is it, like, A, not to laugh and B, to get it actually done without laughing? Um, it, it can be quite hard. I'm kind of all right at no cops and no laughing. I'm, I'm quite... I'm quite good at holding it together but the same as a lot of folk but once you go it's impossible to get it back but because the nature of what we do um is you know it's it's improvised mainly around a structure and um the creator and director will maybe throw in a line and say say that say that but the vast majority of the dialogue we say is our own stuff so 
what will make you go is the unexpectedness of what my partner Sally will come out with, or you know, if I come out with something, she'll maybe go, or, or vice versa. It's, it is, you know, whereas if, if it's something scripted and you go, oh, here comes that funny line, you can kind of brace yourself, but it's usually the the on the hoof unexpectedness that makes you makes you go. Uh, obviously, it, it, sorry. Don, you go. Sorry, John. You go. Uh, no, it's it's um, that's part. It's part of the fun, is it? And there is there is party as well. As much as you're making comedy for the telly, you're also you do just try to make your partner laugh. And you know sometimes if you if you can make somebody laugh, like if you see the sound men or women with a, their booms above their, their heads and their shoulders are shaking with laughing, you're going, ah, that's a belter, I'm, I'm glad that <laughs> I said that, or uh, you hope that makes it in, because you always think, because so much, we film so much content in Scott Squad that doesn't make the telly, and I'd say probably percentage-wise, maybe 80% of what we film doesn't actually make the, the TV, so uh, you're always wondering what will make it and what won't make it because it's nothing to do with us it's up to editors and directors and stuff to choose what they think's the best ah right see see we don't obviously as viewers we don't see behind the camera so yeah. see see if like if you're, if you're filming a bit will you have people other actors there behind the camera making faces and try to put you off and stuff like that no 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 you, you no. would get um the director noddy he's brilliant he'll uh usually usually can the interview but so if you do the, the scenario whatever the crime is or the scene and then you have the two of us standing, explaining it after in the kind of docu sort of interview, he'll usually be shaking his head because you're just talking shite a lot of the time and just making stuff up. And if it's no funny <laughs> and you're rambling, if you led yourself down a dark alley, he'll just be shaking his head like our mouth and going, that's shite. <laughs> you know? And that's that is funny. That's But no, it tends to be very professional, I say, <laughs> in the loosest sense of the word. How uh, how difficult is it, I suppose? Because like, obviously you'll be you'll be doing Scott Squad, but then you might go and maybe fill in on a on a different TV show and stuff like that. How difficult is it with the the differences in acting between like, doing like a serious role, like a cop drama or something, and then doing a comedy role? Is it completely different acting you need to do? Um, they're very very different styles. Um, but at the end of the day, I think uh, in, in comedy you're still trying to be truthful. Even though you're trying to get a laugh and you're trying to hit comedic beats and you're, you're, you're trying to get a gag, you're still essentially trying to tell the truth of that scene. That's that's twice or maybe 15 times. I've seen a lot of wanker on this podcast now, but that's kind of... <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 the truth, yeah, yeah, you, have, you, haven't, you haven't even said shagger once yet. <laughs> I'll leave that to you, Charles. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's... I, but that's that's kind of that, that that's the profession, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I, I never I never got any acting to just play one thing. That I, that was a huge draw for me is to be able to do as many different kind of roles and varied things as as I can. So um, it, I, I wouldn't say it's difficult. It's I, I think it's merely a privilege and an honour if you get the opportunity to be able to play different things. That's what I enjoy about it. That you can be playing a squaddy. One one week and then next week you're on, on stage playing a daft boy in panto or something. That's the sort of that's the joy of the job. See, actually, just on panto right now. This is actually more a question for me than rather than the listeners. So I'm just being a wee bit selfish here. Uh-huh. Do you need to have a massive set of balls to be able to do panto? Because and the, and the reason that I ask is, see, for me acting, it's. What's the best way to put it? You ha- you can't be feared of what other people think about you when you're an actor, I suppose, is the best way I'm trying to put it. So see when you're up on stage doing the panto and you're doing, especially for stuff like kids and stuff like that, and you're doing all the, you're wearing all the clays and doing all the dances, do you need to have a right good set of balls on you to do that? Um, it's a good question, actually. Uh, no, I've, not, I've never thought of it like that. Um, what, what is, uh, just touching on what you said there about going, you, as an actor, you kind of care about what other folk think. I think that's the problem, and I'll include myself massively in this. So many actors were riddled with insecurity. Mm. You know, you, you look at us for our job, and you go, well, if you're going to stand on a stage and do that in front of uh, 1,100 folk, and you're going to go on the telly and do that, and you're going to do that, the, sort of, the perception is that, well, you must take, you know, Boz of Steel, and nothing bothers you, and you're overconfident, and you must be dead cocky. And... Most actors, not all, but most actors, are, we just want to be loved. We want to be liked. We want to be, you know, folk to enjoy our work. And we don't like criticism. We don't 
you know, I don't want folk to go, oh, you're a shite actor, of course they do, and folk, you know, folk do it on Twitter or whatnot, and folk in the street will go, you're shite or whatnot, you know. I, I don't like that, nobody enjoys that, nobody wants to hear that they think, uh, folk think they're shite at their job, you know what I mean? Um, you'll, probably, but, you'll probably find that's mostly Celtic fans saying that, right enough. Well, it's funny, <laughs> after most older firm games, uh, if we have a result uh, and I, I post something, that's, that's when the, the acting police come out a lot. I often get, it's funny, but it is a lot, you get, uh, you're the worst actor, you're as shite as your team, you're a terrible actor, like, Interest that you've you've had a year to say that, but you've you've no you've said it straight after the uh, cottage is bang on in the top corner <laughs> at Parkhead. Interesting, but um, no, no, it's it's no boys of steel. It's it's the love of the job and the love of doing it. Uh, I wouldn't say it's a confidence thing. No, I, it's certainly not for me. Mine's for absolutely loving the job, loving panel, loving what I do. No, about being overly confident in that. Well, we'll see, um, eyes out, still game, Jane McCarry, she was my drama teacher in school. Um, now, I, I have to, I went to Sean's Academy, right, so I didn't go to a posh school in case anybody's listening thinking that I'm middle class. Um, <laughs> but um, she was my drama teacher at school, and whenever I was in drama class, see the minute somebody stared at me, my eyes started watering. I can't make a scene in a supermarket or anything, so I've got total respect for people that can act. And I don't just mean in panto, because... I think Panto takes takes the, the biggest guts ever, but even being able to act in front of you, because we don't, I've seen a couple of like documentaries and you see behind the scenes and there's not just a camera, there's the big light and there's like 15 people watching you. Yeah. I've just, I've got respect for folk that can do that. I think yeah, for, for me, the, the biggest thing about acting is, I suppose it's the same as sport or, or, or so not, it's being able to control your nerves. Everybody gets nervous if, the bigger the gig, the more nervous you get. Again, the same with sport, you know, if it's an Olympics or World Cup final or it was a Hollywood movie, you're going to be more nervous than if it was a much, much, much smaller gig. Um, I think that's, it's about kind of being mentally strong and being able to control your nerves because I've, I've been terrible in things where nerves have got the worst of me and I've not been able to control it. And that was maybe when I was younger and, you know, through experience and age and, and just keeping doing it, you, you learn that to maybe control it a wee bit more and, and how to focus yourself and aye, aye, that's what, so instead of confidence thing again I think it's more about being able to cope with your nerves and, and control it and maybe I, I shouldn't ask you this just in case there's like a producer out there who you might go back to but have you ever turned up to an audition and maybe five or ten minutes in it just went oh fuck this um, no no I don't <laughs> and I'm not just saying I'm just trying to uh, I've turned up. I've I've had loads of bad auditions, but it's it's mainly been down. To, uh, you've walked in the room and you can tell instantly that they're not into you. Mm. You know, I've had the train into London before for a commercial, and there's four and a half hours down the train, four and a half hours back up. You're 160 quid light in your pocket. You've travelled halfway across London to get to a room for them to walk in. And the second you walk in, you can tell by the way they're looking at you as if he's not right. But they will still give you the audition, and you still go through the process. But just in your head going, this is never, ever, ever going to happen for me. And it's a pain in the arse. But, you know, that's, but then that's part and parcel with the, the gig of being an actor. Nah, but see, no, that's... I, sorry, I've, I've never, I've never went, oh, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, fuck this, no, I've never done that. So what's the worst audition you've ever had then? Um, I had a few. <laughs> I used to... I used to be terrible when I was younger and just out of college of being so keen to impress that I wouldn't really listen. Mm. So you, you know, you'd go into the room and they'd be like, "Hi, nice to meet you. Thanks for travelling, whatnot." You want to read the scene, so you usually have the scene but a couple of days beforehand or whatnot, so you've learnt it and that. And you'd, you'd read the scene to go, "Good, right?" But and they give you a wee bit of direction to go, "Right, we're going to go again, and maybe think it this way or the characters a bit like this." And my problem is I was so keen to impress, I'd be I'd be nodding like a like a like a I can't even think of a good analogy, nodding like a, a, a hungry dog. Aye, a hungry dog, pretty much aye, <laughs> grinning ear to ear and everything they tell me I wouldn't be listening. So then, you know, they go they go again and I'd just read it the exact same way because and you could see them looking at you as if, Well, they can't take direction, can he? He's shite. <laughs> um 
so I had a lot of that. I've had, uh, had auditioned years ago where I walked in. The guy, guy complimented me on how good I was in a job. And it was a job I hadn't done. So I don't know where he <laughs> thought I was. You know, but rather than, you know, flagging up, I just kind of nodded. Um, I still never got the job right enough, but I, he said I was great in a certain job. And I was like, all right, good. Didn't earn that, but... <laughs> uh, I, I think, like, travelling in London for for auditions when you you know it's ten hours at your day mm. and your skin and that's the third time you've been down there in a fortnight and you've got no money and you've got no work and they walk in and they look at you and they're like, nah, he's not for us. That's like they're the probably the worst auditions. Oh that and the fact that London's a shite hole as well. But <laughs> um right, so so what were the acting then? What do you do in your spare time? What do you do to Camden? Uh to Camden I run. I run a lot. I've sort of been running since uh, about 2006. No, uh, non-stop, if you understand. <laughs> Not like Forrest Gump. Um, uh, run, I, that's my mind. I don't go to the gym or anything like that. Uh, I play fives on a Monday night and I run. Aye, that, that'd be my thing. That's my main sort of passion. As soon as you said run there, I started sweating. <laughs> I've no run for about thirty years, and I'm thirty. So, <laughs> but no, it's not for everybody. I, I'm one of these folk that you know I could talk about running for hours, and yeah, it's amazing because if folk are into running, you could sit and blather about it. But if you're not into it, it's the most boring conversation in the world. I could you know talk about your diet and your running shoes and your gait and roots and training and all that and folk are like mm, cool story bro that's interesting like you know. I, 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 would, I, would, I wouldn't tell me your roots on here just in case the next time you're out running there's a <laughs> people running beside you but actually that, that brings up a fair issue actually and it involves the acting as well do you have to keep yourself fit and, and I, 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 I don't mean this in a kind of fattest way or anything but if you put on weight then you might not get certain jobs and stuff like that um I don't think there's a there's a rule for anybody uh, to do that. I, I like to keep fit for 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 myself, and you know I, there is a bit of ego in there as well. Going like if I'm going to the telly, I want to be kind of in a bit of shape. Um, but you see the the, the mental health benefits. Uh, Aye. It, it, it feels uh, I after a big run, after a big run the day, I feel great. And see if I don't, you know, it's not that I've got. Uh, I'm feeling dead anxious or depressed or anything, but you know, you, you can just feel if I don't run for a couple of weeks or that, it gets to me. Um, so, sort of health benefits mentally, I, but I keep, you know, as I say, I don't go to the gym, just running keeps me kind of fit and I, I feel good. So, but no, I don't, I don't feel pressure because of my work. It's not, it's not because of that. It's more to do with trying to live as long as I can. <laughs> <laughs> See, I feel the same way with Snickers. If I don't have a Snickers for, a couple of hours then. <laughs> but, the uh, mental health benefits of oh, a nice smile on your face. Oh, <laughs> honestly, I don't care about my waist. I also see you're an ambassador for um, Muscular Dystrophy UK, so how did that come about? Um, I had uh, two uncles that, that died of muscular dystrophy, and I've got a cousin who's currently uh, suffering from the illness. My mum's brother and my dad's brother had uh, muscular dystrophy, so I had it on both sides of the family. So in the, in the 80s, we were only a family in Britain that had muscular dystrophy on both sides of the family. And um, they they both had different strains, sort of very different strains of, uh, of the disease. And they, they died within three months of each other in their, their 60s. And that, uh, yeah, it was pretty hard, you know. It's it's a, it's, a, it's a pretty horrendous disease. It's a muscle-wasting condition. So, you know, if you're, you're uh, diagnosed when you're younger, it's basically progressive. So I saw my mm-hmm. uncles from... Uh, but my mum's brother, he lived close to us, so I was, saw him a lot, lot more than I, I did my, my dad's brother, my Uncle Bobby. So my Uncle Terry, my mum's brother, um, you know, I grew up with him being able to walk, you know, being able to do most things to progressively getting worse in a wheelchair. And, and by the end, he couldn't do a single thing for himself. He couldn't lift his arm or that. Um, nah, his eye could, could hardly open his eyes because the muscles in his eyelids and stuff. So it was, it was horrendous. So... Um, I ran last year for uh, uh, the Great Scottish Run for muscular dystrophy, and they got in touch with me and suggested because uh, you know they were sitting in Scotland and that um, if I would like to be an ambassador and 
snapped her hand off because it would be I want to do as much as I possibly can for the sort of memories of my, uh, my uncles. Yeah, it's an absolutely disgusting disease, and mm-hmm. there's, there's there's no cure for it, which is no. no, it's absolutely absolutely horrendous. No, there's a lot a lot of sort of research going on as there is with most conditions, but as it stands just now, there's there's no cure at all, and they can't halt it, they can't they can't slow it down or, or anything like that. So it's 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 horrendous to see your loved ones go through that. No, it's I've had a few loved ones go through cancer and stuff like that, but yeah, to see to see something like that, no, it's. Right, so we'll move on because that's been quite a <laughs> a, a sad a pod so far. Yeah, yeah, I exactly talking about my <laughs> or the loss I've had in my life. Hope you're See, enjoying I, yourself, yours. I, I, I really should have done more research. <laughs> I'm really a fun guy. Yeah, I've got a lot of, a lot of laughs in there. Right, so so coming for faith then. Um, was it was everybody in your your family range of supporters, or was there kind of was it kind of mixed? I, I, I sort of said this a lot when folk have asked me about Rangers. I came from a family where absolutely nobody was into football at all. My my dad hated football. My brother was not into football at all. My uncles weren't into it. And my granddad was not into it. So my absolute love of football came for just myself, just at school. Uh, and, you know, uh, we weren't religious or anything. So there was no, there was no leading to support any any club it was just I, I i went with rangers and for then on it became an absolute obsession i <laughs> <laughs> uh, see me and you me and you've got quite a lot in common so if you don't mind i'm just kind of going to go about and tell people that you're my, you're my new best pal um smashing people <laughs> <laughs> so what's your your kind of earliest memory your kind of first time uh, seeing rangers whether it be like in, in person or kind of on the telly the first time well on telly was um It'd be sort of mid to late 80s and my mum and dad had a portable telly in their, their bedroom. In my treat, I got to take the portable telly into my room and I watched the cup final and uh, Rangers won. It was against Celtic. I, I remember that just being like, it was just it was like a lot of fantasy, just watching football in your own room and seeing them beat Celtic. And, you know, neither of my family weren't it, understood it, cared. But it really meant something, and that that was kind of the real beginning of kind of the obsession and the the lifelong sort of love for the club. I first time I ever saw them, it was a was it a preseason. It must have been a preseason, I'm sure. That could have been a preseason. It was at Tanadice, and I was about fifteen. Because a lot of being for five, a lot of my mates, like I was too young, they'd be go to Tybrooks for me, like as I say, like they older brothers or uncles or dad or in and it would, would go I think it was Tannadice the first time and it was about 1996 about 1997 mm-hmm. I went to Ibrox for the first time it's still now I think as with most Rangers fans uh, or probably any football club you support but me it's Rangers where every time you approach Ibrox it still has the same magic as the first time oh definitely you, you see as soon as you see the pitch when you get to your seat you know you're coming up the stairs and as soon as the pitch comes into view it has that absolute magic feel and Oh, it's, it's amazing, absolutely amazing. Now, well, see, the first time I, I seen Rangers at Ibrox, they weren't there because uh, it was against Dundee United and it was an away game and they were showing it on the big screens. That was the first time I went to Ibrox. Is that right, really? <laughs> so I take it, obviously, then, with nobody in your family, exactly the same as me, that's why we're now best pals. Uh, <laughs> no, Nobody in your family. So, you know, obviously never had a season ticket growing up then. No, no. No, um, and being for Fife and that, and having no money, it was yeah, it just wasn't feasible to get through. But when I when I moved to Edinburgh as a student, uh, I went through a lot more. And then obviously when I um, I moved to Glasgow, I could walk to the games, which was great. It was kind of about two and a half mile to Ibrox to, to where I used to stay. So it was, it was brilliant back in the days before kids when you could go and have a couple of pints and all that for <laughs> for the football. <laughs> um, right, so we we need to talk about it, but. I suppose we don't, but we do. 2012, up until the last minute and what happened happened. Did you believe that that could ever happen to us? No, nah, no. Nah. Um, I think, you know, I was saying probably the majority of Rangers fans. Um, I'd say the majority of every fan couldn't see that coming. You know, I think a lot of fans at other clubs wanted it to happen, and, but probably in their heart of hearts, like, there's no way that's going to happen. But I remember um, 
the day I was on honeymoon, the day the HMRC said no to um, the, the offer, what's it called again, the, the deal coming. The, oh, the, the, nah, the, Charles, the Charles Green deal. Um, aye. Well, I can't remember the official title, but... I just call it the Charles Green deal. <laughs> the Charles Green deal. When HMRC said no to that, um, Danny Wilson was in my hotel, and I remember going up to him, he was at Liverpool at the time, and we were getting away, waiting on the bus to take us to the airport, and I was just like, mate, mate I've just heard, I've heard the news, and, he, he, and <laughs> like, I, was, I was about greeting. And my, ah. missus, my missus, for quite a long time, thought I was about greeting because we were leaving honeymoon. <laughs> and now, I mean, now she realises it was because <laughs> we were going to liquidation. It was, oh, it was horrendous. It was absolutely horrendous. And you know, let's let's be honest, it's it's not been easy. It's been it's been a pretty rough few years. But I, I hope I'm young enough to appreciate, you know, growing up in the nine in a row era where we had everyone. I've been to a European final. I've seen us mm. dominate um, the domestic scene for years on end. I've seen us go to the lowest we could possibly go to, you know, playing Elgin and, and Alawa and no disrespect to them, but, you know, going down to that, that level, the Charles Green era, the, the nonsense that was going on with that, to now I think we're on a decent footing, you know, we're, we're not the finished article, we're not there yet, but in the next few years, who knows what's going to happen, but football cyclical, everything cyclical, Rangers will be on top again. There's absolutely oh, no doubt of that. It's just, it's it's about when, isn't it? Oh, definitely. Did you go to any of the, the, the games where we were down the leagues? Did you go to any of the away grounds? I didn't go to the, the away grounds. I was at a, a lot of the, the home games. And I remember being at the first the first game at Ibrox after it all. I was talking about this the other day. I thought it was East Fife, but I, oh shit, I was convinced it was East Fife, but it was East Stirling, I think. And it was a cup game. First, bit, first game back, and again, I was a bit greeting at how just looking around going because over that summer, you're like it, a lot of that time, we, it felt like we weren't going to have a team to support. It felt right. like you know, we might not get a license to play football, and this might not happen. And then just being at Ibrox again, uh, it was quite a su- sunny night, and well, they were playing East Stirling, and we had a kind of makeshift team and whatnot. It was like we've got a team to support, and that's what it's about, isn't it? It's you know, through the the Sandazas and the Kevin Kyles and, and, Kevin and, and Ian Blacks and all everything that we've been through, the, the false dons, we've still supported the team. You've still got you still have the same feeling, whether it's Gaza and Loudrop and McCoyst and Gorham and Goff to you know, those boys, you're still cheering on and you're still willing them to score the same as do you know what I mean? That's what's that's what being a football fan's about. That's that's how I feel about it anyway. Nah, it, was, it was absolutely surreal until you got into the ground, I suppose, and the game kicked off, and then it was just another game. But no, it was an absolutely surreal time. Um, oh. But then yeah. we, we 2016, then semi final, uh, the Scottish Cup uh, against Celtic, uh, we winning penalties. I must admit, getting into, I can vaguely remember getting into the game because I kind of blacked out after it with the amount of drink I had, but <laughs> I can remember not feeling very confident about it anyway. I mean, I, I was there, my mate Gav, uh, and I, I'm, I'm always Mr. Pessimist when it comes to old fun, always, and so it much. doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And I think, truth be told, a lot of folk um, on both sides are always kind of bullish and like, ah, we're going to pump you as we'll do this. And you know, if I see Rangers fan, especially the last couple of years, going, no, we're going to win this four now, I'm like. I don't, I don't know what you've been smoking, but we're <laughs> not going to be beating them for now. But I always, always look at our team and go, because uh, me and my mate, it's always that theory going, whenever you go into an old firm, we're guaranteed to lose a big player in training the couple of days before. You know, you, you lose, oh, we've just lost Bigera, or he's out, oh, that's us pumped and we've lost Bigera, or, you know, it's uh, Kent's out injured, or Kent, we've lost him, we're not going to, you know, all that. And, and then you always... Uh, yeah, I, I that that game, I had no no hopes at all. But we played phenomenal, played phenomenal that game. Thought we were great. Ah, uh, we were absolutely, we were absolutely outstanding. And the the the, the Barry McKay goal as well. I mean, oh. he, he scores that in extra time, and you think, oh my God, they've won it. But what a goal! Oh, what a what a It's a world, isn't it? I mean, to oh. score that goal in any game, it wouldn't matter what level of football that is. An absolute world, there. But in those circumstances. And I, you know, I remember the celebrations, the, the, 
the players when we won in penalties. That was that was a lot of years of hurt. Kinda that felt like we were on the road to recovery, and obviously it was a, a kind of a bit of a blip and stuff. Um, you know, going into the final of that year and stuff. But oh, to have that feeling after being just down the, down for so long was was phenomenal. And uh, and and I'm not religious or a, or a god person or anything, but. That day, I believe that, that God lifted that ball up off that spot a wee bit just so Roger would put it over the bar. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, God, no, they can't take any more. Come on, come on, I'll give them a wee help. <laughs> oh, and then, then after that, I don't know about you, but after that game, I don't remember the rest of the day. I think me and my mate went for I can remember the day, but we went out for a couple of pints. I would have been on father duty later, so I <laughs> See, my daughter wasn't born yet. Or, or, or no, she was. Oh, don't let my missus hear the podcast. <laughs> you need to edit that out. <laughs> um, so I know this isn't really a fair question because Ali was absolutely one of your heroes, but what do you make of Ali McCoy's time as manager? <sighs> you left gutted at the, the way it was all handled. I think that was a very dark time. Across the board, I think there was a lot, a lot of shady going on with the, the Charles Green uh, era. <sighs> he made a lot of mistakes as well, didn't he, Coisty? Um I think, you know, a, a lot of other fans, the other clubs, always go, "Ah, you, you's fucked up. You's, you's just tried to, to win big again. You, you know, you we made big money signings. Well, big money for us at that point. You know, you know, we kind of went around Scottish football out with Celtic went. Right, we'll try and get David Templeton, we'll try and get, you know, Sandaza was scoring a lot of goals. Ian Black was a good player. I mind Ian Black for Hearts, he's always had a good bit of dig about him. And, you know, we were, we were trying to build a squad quickly. In hindsight, probably wasn't the right thing to do. But at the time, you're like, I can see why he's doing it. You know, John Daly scored a lot of goals for Dundee United and stuff. You know, folk kept going, oh, you've got to give youth a chance. But you can't just fill a team full of kids when you've got 50,000 folk there. You know, there's a pressure wearing a Rangers jersey, and if you're you're a young kid, that pressure's got to get to you. You know, we've all been Ibrox where if somebody's having a bad game and folk are getting pelters, that would. I mean, I know my personal, I would crumble under that. I wouldn't be able to prove the doubters wrong. I'd just shit myself and fall down greeting. You know what I mean? It's like, and that's what it's about, isn't it? It's about mental strength, and because I'm sure every player out in training can be phenomenal, but it's it's turning up to the big games and when the pressure's gone or you're 2-0 behind and still trying to get back into it. That's when, you know, you show your, your kind of ability. It's, I suppose as well, you, you've got to remember, like you were saying, there was there was a lot going on behind the scenes, but we had no infrastructure. We didn't really have a youth team. We had no scouting no, system. No scouting. I, I, I'll always love McCoy. I'll always, I think he, he divides opinion. Um, I think he always had the... The love of Rangers and the good of the club in his heart. You know, folks say he lined his pocket. Of course, he lined his pocket. He's a human being. Where, you know, what do you do when you're on eight hundred grand a year and that's your your con that's your contract? And if you're offered it, you're offered it. You're that's offered it, and you're getting paid it. You've signed. That's what they're saying. You're like, if he's if he's been duped, but you know the cynics will go, he wasn't duped. He knew exactly what he's doing. But if he's been duped by Charles Green and a board gone, look, we're going to make 100 million quid out of this, we're going to be bankrolling this and we're going to be doing that. If he's just like the rest of us going, oh, this sounds this sounds feasible. You know, it's all right in hindsight for everybody to go, oh, you're idiots, you're stupid, you should have seen this, you should have seen that, you should have seen this. But it's not really football fans, is it? You just want things to get better and you just kind of believe, you know. Um, ugh. I, I, str- I struggle to criticise him. I do struggle to criticise him. Have you see that you, you've ruined the pod now? Because I wanted in the papers of more a Scottish celeb slams McCoist. So I'm, <laughs> I'm not going to get it now. <laughs> I have a leading question. I'm no dad. So, well, in fact, you've played with McCoist actually. I'll, I'll talk about that before we go on to uh, Rangers. And now, what was it like then going out playing at Ibrox? Um, I am sure most Rangers fans have done this. I've spent a lot of my life dreaming, as in lying, lying in asleep in my bed, having dreams about playing at Ibrox with various sort of circumstances, either that I've been a brilliant player or I've been a terrible player or, or whatever. And when the opportunity arose, I couldn't believe it was going to happen. When I was first asked to play, I thought it was going to be in some kind of bounce game at, um, at Murray Park or the, the Hummel Training Centre. Um, I thought it was just going to be a kind of closed door thing and it wasn't for a wee while later I was like 
I think I'm going to, I'm going to, to check this. And uh, uh, I found out it was Ibrox. Like it, I couldn't, I could hardly speak. And my, my wife, she, she couldn't calm me down. I was just, I couldn't get my head around it. <laughs> um, the, the entire day, the entire day was every bit as good as I hoped it would be. I, I kind of made a, a deal with myself of going, right, you're going to be nervous. I'm not a footballer. I'm not a great footballer. But I'm going to try and enjoy myself and no get overawed by the occasion and just try and enjoy it, even if I'm shy. Don't let it get to me. Do you know what I mean? I'm talking, no, in a mental strength way, i just going, let's just enjoy it. And for the second I arrived at Ibrox, the second I left, it was one of the best days of my life. I doubt. It was just phenomenal. Phenomenal. I see. I don't know if I would be able to enjoy it. I'd be... I'd be so nervous, and I have to say that I heard this on uh, the Football Daft Pod, so I can't take credit, because I've not actually seen the game, but I heard you talking about um, you set McCoy up for a chance or something, that he, an easy chance that he missed. I mean, modesty aside for a second, right? <laughs> um, you know, if we could just park that modesty bus at the far end of my living room, I put an absolute belter of a cross. It's a peach. Even uh, Tom the commentator went, what a cross by the River City boy. Um, <laughs> and McCoy, who scored four that day, or three, four, he, it was a diving header and he hit it off the post. And my anecdote, how different would it have been if we went, I uh, put an absolute world of a cross in for McCoy's diving header and scored a goal. It's very different to it. No, I hit it off the post. So um, he ruined my anecdote. You know, double golden boot winner couldn't finish what I, I set up for him. I've only looked it up on YouTube about sort of seven and a half million times. Uh, okay, I didn't even know it was on YouTube or I would have watched it. Oh, get, get it watched. Full game there. <laughs> see, see, I, I, gave, I, I gave you your choice, uh, your chance to get back at him and you never took it. I know. To, to, it's your idol as well. I did. <laughs> I did. I, I got an assist in, an assist that game as well. I took it to the corner flag, crossed it back to Alec Ray and he, he crossed it in for a goal. So an assist of an assist. I don't know if they even exist, but they do in my head. Oh, they, they exist when you're playing at Ibrox and it's Aye. a once-in-a-lifetime type thing. Oh, they exist. Because um, was, was Grado playing that game as well? He was, aye. And they, they manufactured it for him to be cleaned through. He, you know, was it, who was it? Was it McCulloch? I can't mind. But whoever it was, the opposition defenders basically got either side of his shoulder and it became quite clear on, like, sort of 18-yard line or maybe further back, he's running. And the whole stadium was going, all oh, right, they're letting him score. So they didn't put a tackle in, but they're kind of getting pelters in his ear. You can see it. And he's running and he's running and he gets this sort of about eight yards out and he just shanks it wide. I mean, it's just, it's a horrendous effort. And I remember looking at it going, that was your one chance of your whole life in a situation like this. You could have scored the Ibrox and they let you and you fucked it. <laughs> I see. I heard something about it. Online, it might have been another pod as well, but when you say running, no. Well, I, I mean, yes. <laughs> I, you try, try to leave me in a path there again. Desperate for a headline. Yeah, Grado <laughs> ran and he ran very well. There you go, there's your headline. <laughs> uh, right, well, I might get one out of this question then. The league situation right now, um, we've seen we've seen in Belgium, obviously, they've cancelled their league and they've awarded... The, the positions are the positions. What do you think should happen in Scotland and what do you think will, if it comes to a, having to cancel the leagues? I think the season should be finished. I think, you know, there's been so much chat about sporting integrity over the past few years. You'd be, <laughs> assen- you'd be essentially handing a league title to a team who, when the league's not completed, so therefore, if, if it was Rangers in that, that situation... Would I be wanting the title? I probably would, yes. I'd be going, let's just give me it. But in the back of your head, you're like, we've not really won that. So it wouldn't be nine in a row, it'd be eight and a half in a row. <laughs> and that's that's my belief. And I, I think, you know, Celtic are in pole position. They're miles ahead of us in the league. The, we were in terrible form. We were coming up to an old firm game. All that said, we won our game in hand and beat Celtic twice. It was down to four points, but exactly. still five or six games to go. Mm-hmm. And Helicopter Sunday, was it what, five points to go with three games, was it? Aye. You know, it's... Of course, you know, I, I, I don't get the indignation of everyone going, well, that's the obvious thing to do, just give them the title. Why? When it's still... It's, it's a sporting competition that's not not reached its conclusion yet. I think... Um, 
I don't know the logistics if you can finish the season. I mean, who knows how long this uh, lockdown and sort of pandemic is going to go on. It could go on for, you know, till August, September. Then we're in a, a different position. Uh, to answer your question, what I think will happen, I think they'll probably give Celtic the league. I think, but then you, you relegate Hearts, and that's no fair. You've got to, you've got to relegate Hearts if that happens. Absolutely. You, know, you, you relegate a team where, and the financial implications of that are, you know, folk lose jobs, and there's always. And then I think, I think if Celtic win the league and Hearts get relegated, there'll just be legal battles that will probably drag on for a long time and cost a lot of money. It's, it's, it's difficult for the authorities. I'm not going to pretend it's no difficult. Uh, they've got a, they're going to try and do the right thing, but nobody's going to get well. Surely Celtic fans will be happy if you go, you complete the league, then you then you win it. You know, of course you're going to be mm-hmm. happy. And surely, with the confidence that's exuded at them the past few years and the way things are gone, you know, ten in a row is already in the bag for them. So I don't know why <laughs> they wouldn't want to contest it. Do you know? And you know, I'm being I'm being deliberately facetious there, but you know, there is, you know, all we ever hear is how absolutely shite we are. And, Stephen Gerrard's terrible, you are awful, and you're, you know, you're less, you're flat to deceive, you're terrible. Well, why do you know what to play the league to the end then? You know, like, honestly, it's, it's quite simple in my head. And okay, well, if you're better than us, that's fine, no bother, just play the league. Oh, well, it's, it's sport and integrity. That's the, that's yeah, the, the buzzword, isn't it? It's, of course. Absolutely. But before I get you into any more trouble, then we'll move on. <laughs> right, so we, we had. McCoist and then we had McDowell and then we had Warburton and you, you can see where this is going Stevie oh, G, what, what did you think when it was announced that Stevie G was the next manager? I, it was on Twitter I heard it getting rumoured and my first reaction was, fuck sake he's manager of the under 18s Liverpool that's mental oh what, he's unprone he's 37, 38 year old oh god all this and okay, I put that on Twitter at the time. I'm the most fickle person in the world because <laughs> I'd say about seven or eight hours later, I don't think I've been as excited in my life. And nothing changed. Nothing happened. I never got any new information other than I just bought into it and gave it a bit of thought. And for that second on, from you know watching the, the behind the scenes when he arrived at Ibrox for the first time, you watch when he, he comes in the sort of black merc, people carry her and stuff It's it was kind of hairs in the back of your neck and I'm like, and then his first press conference, like, yeah, yeah he's a man for me and now like he's he's made mistakes, he's made big mistakes but for folk to say he's a rubbish manager, the progress we've made in Europe, to get to where we've been in Europe, it's amazing um, the league form it's an enigma the, the drop off after Christmas is an absolute enigma He's not the best manager in the world. He's no, he's no perfect, but he's young and he's learning and he's sticking with us. And I believe in him absolutely, hundred percent believe in him. I think the the biggest thing for fans, though, and don't get me wrong, I'm still on board the Stevie G train, you know. But the biggest thing for fans is, see if the drop off had happened this January, and this January only, we might have put it down to, oh, the players lost a bit of confidence or a lack of form. But it's a fact; it's two years in a row. Yeah, yeah, I, I think in. What I always think is, is mental uh, for any team is when they collectively drop form. You know, as mm-hmm. an individual, you know, you could be a left back or a centre half or a forward or that, and you drop form and you're probably you're, you're taking out the team or the rest of the team can carry you through it. But when you're getting an entire team whose shoulders are dropped and they're, you know, when we're flying at the, the first half of last season and we're batting teams and playing amazing sexy football and just looking like dynamite and then you're going we look like we have zero ideas we look like we're we're doing the exact same thing and you know no, no coming up with an answer and there was no sort of change of system and whatnot that was that that was concerning but I'd, I mean I don't I don't have the answer I don't know what the answer is I think the Morelos situation you know, there's obviously a lot of stuff going on in his uh, private life, and I think it clearly affected him. Uh, he's his ban. You know, we're losing him at a, a vital time. Lost to four. Tav, I know um, Tav's got his critics, but I'd much rather him him in the team. See what he gives us doing the right. And are you, are you a fan? Are you a fan of Tav? I am. I am. Uh, I think. Uh, I think. I really, really like him. 
I don't think I'd have him as captain. No. I think I think I would get uh, Shagger probably. From one Shagger to another. Yeah. <laughs> one Shagger. From one who knows. <laughs> <laughs> I think I love uh, McGregor's kind of ire and anger and desperation to win. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Tav. I think I, again he's no perfect, but my mate Gav was saying it and it's true. He said for. In terms of right back, what we can afford, you know, if we if we sold Tav tomorrow, right, man, right, he's gone. What, who's the best right back we can afford financially? I think he's the best we could ever get for where we are financially. See, in the ninety third minute again, when he's bombing down the right, the amount of searing runs he gives, you know, he's 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 had a lot of mistakes and he's he's not the best defender in the world, but I'm no, I'm a huge fan of him. I really like him. No, that that is actually quite a fair point, and I've never thought of it like that. Like if he was at another team and he has the numbers that he has, I know it's more inflated down south. But if he's got the numbers, he's got at another team and he does what he does. Could we afford to buy him? Yeah, exactly. No way, no way. And you know, he is he's a, he's a guy who has a, has attracted interest for down south and could probably do a decent job. I don't know what level he could play, like how high he could go. I'm not sure, but I think see him as an outball. When he's when he's on form, when he's flying in that right, you know the amount of goals he's set up and um, or, or attacks he's set up, it's that, I think he's great. I think he's great. Right, so just a couple of questions left. An easy one to start off with. Can can Stevie G take us to fifty-five? Yes. Yep. I, I honestly believe that, and I don't think it's blind faith. I think I think he needs to address and understand what the problem has been since Christmas twice. Because there'll be, there'll be a reason for that, whatever that reason is. You know, is it player discontent with something or whatever or something? I think he he's got an eye for a player. We we had a chance to really scare Celtic. We had a chance to push them, and it'd be interesting to see how they coped with a lot of pressure all the time. You know, obviously beating them um, at the end of last year, that was them under huge pressure, and they they coped very very well because then they went on a a brilliant run. But that brilliant run's also helped by us dropping points in the nah. of the game, you nah. know. And no, nothing makes you more confident when there's pressure off, you know. Like they, I said that to my mates out there, Celtic have got, now they're playing freely. They they know we're dropping, you know, that's us four points over seven points over ten points. So they can it eases them up. They're no gone. Oh my God, Rangers have got a game in hand and they're only one point behind us. So if we drop points. There wasn't a tension there for them, and we had a real opportunity to put that tension on them. I thought. I know that's a that, that's a fair point. I, um, I keep I keep saying uh, last questions, but I just keep thinking up more. What do you make of the ticket allocation for old firm games? What's your opinion? A lot of fans are saying it dilutes the atmosphere, but I think the majority of Rangers supporters are, are, are far happier with Celtic only getting eight hundred eyebrows. I think it does. It changes the atmosphere, but. Um, it's in both games. Um, you know, if, if we, you know, we went at Parkhead and you've got a small section of Rangers, so it's nothing better than hearing us score there and the roar. You can't really hear the roar. The atmosphere is obviously better at Ibrox for it. It, it. it appears a wee bit petty on both. I think that's more, probably you not know, the popular opinion or the right thing to say. But like, it's been that way for a long time. I don't know why it changed it. I think there was a bit of pettiness, probably obviously the financial aspect and stuff. You know, and saying that when there's nothing worse than um, hearing the, the Brimlone go absolutely wild when they score, you know, uh, and the rest of Ibrox silent. If that's full, it's so... I, I, I don't miss that. I, I think as well, um, I think a, a lot. some of it was petty. I think some of it was down to finances. But also, when we go over to their ground, we get stuck away in this corner where you... You can barely see anything, and obviously the TV cameras don't pick up your supporters or anything like that. I yeah, think yeah, a, a lot, a lot of it was down to that, just the the position that we get we get thrown in over there. Yeah, uh, my first ever old firm was at um, Parkhead. I was on my own. My it was my brother's father-in-law. He he's a season ticket holder. He he gave me his away on holiday, and he gave me it. So I travelled through on my Todd then. I was I think it was twenty or something. Aye, it's aye, it's pretty pretty shitty seats. How do you, how do you enjoy the 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 old forum games at Parkhead? Only ever been there once for an old forum. It was pretty wild. It was kind of non-stop singing, and he, there wasn't much sitting sitting down. Uh, we got beat, and it was 
what was it, McLeish? I remember going in and the, the song Nuno Capuccio won a medal in Seville. <laughs> I tell you what, I still sing that in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> great song, great chant, good banter. Uh, we got beat 1-0, I think it was a Larson goal. Um, we didn't play very well. That was uh, sort of McLeish year of when I think we went through a full season of Never had a shot on target against them. We just couldn't ah, get out of the season half. I were very poor that season. So how difficult is it then with, with the job you've got to see Rangers? Because obviously I would imagine being an actor, you you need to work when when you get work, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like you, over the Christmas period, I'm I'm out for like sort of nine weeks of um, doing panto and stuff. So yeah, I kind of get it then. You'll hear the games on in your dressing room and your iPad and whatnot. During the River City used to film on Saturdays, but recently they, they stopped filming on Saturdays, so that meant freed it up. But my wife works Saturdays as well, and I've got the two kids, so it's it's always dependent on... It's, it's basically, I need to it's like military precision to try and organise to me go to the football. It's not just a kind of last minute going, oh, I'm just going to go. But no, I, I get to as many games as, as I, I can. Um, I was at every European game this season, which was good, apart from the Leverkusen one. Aye, that was a that was a so if you were at that that was a strange game because I think a lot of us knew there wasn't going to be a second leg and it just felt like a kind of strange atmosphere because it was, the, they, they were the better team and I think a lot of it's down to that you can just sometimes turn around and go and oh, they were the better team but it seemed an awfully strange atmosphere. It, it was strange I think that because there was so much talk that we could go and at work or gone that game's not going ahead not going ahead and even up until the, the day. You know, I was checking my phone all the time, we was expecting a cancellation. And when it happened, so I think it was a bit like that, a bit kind of, all oh, right, this is going ahead. And like you say, a, a big expectation that the second leg won't be going ahead. Uh, they they were the better team. And, yet, you know, I think sometimes you do, like you say, you've got to hold your hands up and go, folk, are, there are better teams out there. They, they passed the ball brilliantly. They were very, very good on the ball. But seeing the second half when we went at them a wee bit, we had them rattled. I loved that. Mm. But then, you know, then Tav went off and... Poster. The ghost poster. You know, and I don't blame Poster at all. He's, he's not had much football at all. But he came into a, a big game and he just didn't look at the races very much. And that you, you can't blame some days. He's not had that kind of competitive game in him. But I, they, they were a better side. And I, I couldn't see us going over there and doing anything. You know what I mean? I couldn't see us beating them 3-0, certainly. No, they had a, if I'm being brutally honest, they had a couple of gears they could have went up if they wanted. Aye, aye, yeah. definitely. But, you know, to get to where we did, you go... Oh, phenomenal. You know, unbelievable. Absolutely phenomenal. After, well, an hour at, after an hour at Ibrox against Braga, I was thinking this is going to be one of the most humiliating nights we've had. Yeah. That was one of the weirdest games of football I think I've been to. <laughs> I've never experienced such a weird... You know, like that, I was sitting and my mate going, this is going to be five, you know, they're going to take five of us. Couldn't get near them. We were awful, and then it was just this fairy tale. It was absolutely amazing. Oh, it was buzzing. I could, again, I couldn't speak when I came home. My missus was like, what is that? I was just, you know, t- talking her through k- kick by kick again. She's not in the fit with it. All right, that's good then, is it? Ah, it, was, it was amazing. It was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm agile, I can't get to many games. and I'll catch the European games at night and when I get home, and my missus will always say, I think you love Rangers more than you love us. You know, that's, I get that all the Of course, that's not true. Of course, it's not true. Um, this was just the last question, and it's probably something I should have said to you before we came on, so you had time to think about it. But just could you name your kind of all time Rangers 11 that you've seen? That I've seen. Uh, and again, I probably should have gave you a bit you of time. You probably to should have, because now I'm going to give you about 11 <laughs> right backs or something. <laughs> it's a, a top because. Gorham and Kloss and McGregor. You know, if you you know if you don't say if you don't say Gorham, then your Twitter's going to be full. This is tough. This is tough. And if you don't say Gorham, then I'm just hanging up. Gorham. And if you don't say Davy Robertson left back, I'm hanging up as well. I, I, do you want me just to name the team for you? Papa, I just uh, <laughs> you name you go your team. Alberts has got to be in there. Oh yeah, Big Dado Perzo. I absolutely loved him. I thought he was amazing. He was a big cart horse, awkward running boy. But oh my god, I loved him. Absolutely loved him. You'd have Perzo over Sibo. 
tough choice. I mean, I was at the Chelsea pre-season game where Sebo scored that goal, and then I thought he was going to go on and be like a hundred goals a season player for us. And that didn't happen. But uh, <laughs> who else? Midfield Gaza. That's a tough question. Know. You should ask me that. <laughs> I should have asked you before. McCoy, you're going to hear McCoy's obviously. I, t- I, t- I tell you what, we'll make that bit. So just give me your top five players you've seen. Top five players I've seen: Ryan Kent, James Tavernier. <laughs> 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 Do you know who was an absolute phenomenal player? I thought, and you only saw a little snippets from Cranshaw. See the way he passed the football was phenomenal. Oh, absolutely. went no hunting. That was but what just the way, football brain eye phenomenal. Oh, you could see it going, oh, see him in his heyday. You no know, wonder he played in the Premiership, the level he played at. He was amazing. That was a good stalling tactic there, by the way, Ali. Very good stalling tactic, because my brain's just <laughs> emptied. What about Chris Boyd? Uh, what, a, what a goal scorer, uh, Chris Boyd. Monster Munch. <laughs> Beguera, I love Beguera. Again, I mentioned him earlier on. Love oh, brilliant Beguera. Oh, we could be, we could be we here could for us. Right, listen, we'll, we'll leave it there, Jordan. Thanks very much for taking the, the time to talk to us today. Oh, cheers for having me. Cheers for having me. I hope it no. wasn't too uh, morbid at the beginning, but uh, we, got, we got cheery at the end. Eh? Oh, no, I'll go back <laughs> and get all that out. Don't worry. <laughs> Super, bud. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot. Nice to speak to you, Martin. Cheers, mate.